Amen. Appreciate the worship team, man. Whew. They help us. They help us a lot. Just to, it's not just about hearing messages. It's about experiencing spiritual truths through song sometimes just to really help us emotionally and, and connect. Uh, and hopefully we can continue that today. Uh, I'm looking forward to sharing this message with you uh, as we sort of conclude our series. And I'll give you an insight into that later. Um, but uh, yes, we have been talking about this, this, this concept of deconstruction. And uh, in, in our day and age, sometimes these words can carry extra weight. And uh, a lot of times this word just considered straight up negative. And hopefully through this series that you, you realize that what we're trying to do is kind of normalize this process. The passage that uh, Sherwin read earlier, if you are constantly being renewed by the transforming of your mind, if that is truly your reality, then guess what? You're probably going to change views a little bit on certain things. You might emphasize something a little more in five years than maybe you did 10 years ago. That's not weird. That's not crazy. That's called maturity in a lot of ways. And so if we consistently allow the enemy and the adversary to make words negative that don't have to be negative, he's good at that. He's been doing that to people for a long time. You know, let's just move this word over here and now it's really bad, right? That's what he does. I hope you're deconstructing your faith in a lot of ways. That means you're growing, you're maturing, you're questioning. There's nothing wrong with questioning. Read the Psalms. All right? Read your Bible. It's okay. All right? And here's the deal. If you want to question uh, how the North River Church of Christ does church, praise Jesus' question. Amen. Figure it out. Love, I, I hope this is a safe enough place to do it. I mean, this ain't like North Korea or something, you know what I'm saying, where you, you can't have a you, you know, unique idea or something. Come on. You can question. You can ask questions. It's okay. All right? It's even okay. Well, what about our fellowship of churches? Amen. Ask questions. Praise God. That's normal. Now, is there really a God? Is Jesus real? That's when you're going to run into some challenges. Not that you shouldn't question that, but you got to realize that's a different level. And that's when you start pulling, when you start pulling out that, well, Jesus isn't real or he didn't resurrect or he never, he's not coming back. Now you're getting into something that could destroy your faith, so to speak. But we're here to offer the, the space to question in community with open Bibles with God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us, with reason and a mind that God gave us we're supposed to love him with, and be able to help each other through. And that's hopefully what deconstruction is. I don't know if the slides are going to work because we got new issues today, but it's okay. I, it's, it's all good. It's, it's, it's love Jesus and keep moving, right? Um, there is a passage that I was, uh, oh, th there you go, that kept coming back to me. And to me, the concept of deconstruction. Think about Paul. What all the craziness that guy went through. But by the end of his life, you know what I mean? He's like, man, I'm about to get poured out. I know my, I'm about done. But man, look what he says. I, I have fought the good fight. I finished the race. And I've kept my faith. To me, that's what the spirit of this whole series is about. I, I sincerely want everyone under the sound of my voice to be able to say this at the end of your earthly journey. Because here's the deal, it's gonna be a fight. <laughs> You're gonna have fight within <laughs> your own self, battling the flesh and all that. You're gonna have fight even within the church. Say it ain't so. <laughs> even Paul, remember that? Paul said, man, I deal with false brothers. This, hey, it happens. 
And then you're going to have this world telling you you're the dumbest person in the world to follow Jesus. And your beliefs are backward. And actually, your beliefs are actually what's wrong with this country. You're going to have that kind of stuff. It's going to be a fight. You know, and it's a, it's a marathon of a race when you're just ready to turn back. You just pass, you run and you pass by. Man, I'm just going to stop off in the KFC and just, I'm done, you know. <laughs> I'm through running this race, man. Just give me original, please, a whole bucket. Thank you. I'm done. <laughs> I'm through with all this, right? I'm tired of running. <laughs> I want something that feels good. <laughs> it's going to be a long race, man. I hope you finish it. And I hope you realize your faith is valuable. But it needs to go through some fire. I could slap that passage up here that Peter reminds us of. To be proved genuine. So you got to keep it. The adversary wants it. Everything in you sometimes doesn't want to do anything faithful. That's real life. But so is this. You can keep it to the end, but it's going to be a battle. And I hope that we can, as a faith community, we can help each other through this stuff so that we can get to this point. Um, we've talked about a lot of things in this series. Uh, you can go back through online, you know, all the sermons and dealing with disillusionment and sometimes, you know, disassociation. Hey, sometimes you, the core faith, amen. Jesus, resurrection, amen. But let's not be adding other stuff to it and calling it core, you know. We got to figure that stuff out. Amen. Do that here in community and figure it out together, right? You got to redefine. You can't let the world define stuff. We, we're here to critique the world. <laughs> Don't worry. The world going to keep critiquing the church. That's fine. But, you know, we're supposed to be able to stand from a place of strength. Define yourself. You are God's image bearer and go out in this world and help the chaos become peace. That's what we do when we redefine ourselves correctly. And doubt, doubt is fine, guys. Come on. You can have doubts. I mean, goodness gracious. We are human. We, the Bible calls us sheep, all right? That's not the sharpest tool in the shed, you know what I'm saying? So we're going to have moments where things, it's okay. God knows. It's baked into the program, all right? God knows we're going to have doubts. It doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian or something like that. And sometimes you get flat disoriented. It can be about anything, right? It can just throw you off your track. And, or you're, as, as has been called in history, the dark night of the soul. Sometimes you're just there, man. It's just, golly, and you're just disoriented. I don't know what's up and down. Hopefully you can still find this place, a place to be disoriented and not judged as being a bad Christian. And today we're talking about these concepts of discipleship and even deconversion. Kind of like two. Here's the deal. Some people de deconstruct their faith to try to reevaluate it, right? Because they're trying to preserve their discipleship, right? They want to keep following Jesus. So let's not be labeling people, right? And some people, yeah, deconversion is a, is a potential issue. Like, I'm not even a Christian. I'm an ex this and ex that. That's not what we want to have happen here at North River. So I'm telling you straight up. And so today's message where does it come from? Well, it comes from me spending, you know, more than half my life walking with Jesus. Not that that means anything, but I'm just giving you my perspective. 25 of those years in a, in a role where I just happened to be uh, exposed to a lot of talks and conversations with people that are going through all kinds of things. And so here I am now as a 51-year-old when I started this in my 20s. And I'm just saying I'm drawing on a lot of those experiences today, you know, in this message. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I've, I've tried to read and reflect on the Bible. You know, I'm not, I'm, not the, I'm not like a Peter. If I was one of the apostles, I'd probably be more like a John, 
kind of guy, maybe a little more in his head, right? Not like a Peter jump out the boat, let's go pull the sword. Jack. You know, I'm, I'm not that guy, and I acknowledge that. That's just who I am. I'm more of a thinker. And so, I don't know, I've thought, I thought, I sit, and I sit across, and I think, and I, and I process, and I try to figure it out, right? That's, that's my temperament. It's not good or bad. I'm just giving you my perspective. And I've gone, and I've tried to, I've gone to the Athens Institute of Ministry. I've graduated there, gone through it twice, or, or maybe more. <laughs> it's been a long time. And I'm now currently getting my Master's in Divinity at McAfee School of Theology in Atlanta. Um, one of my professors there wrote a book that was really helpful to me, uh, one of my favorite professors. And uh, if you're listening, Dr. Allen, love you. And uh, he's great. He's uh, just about to retire. So this is a book that he wrote. I'm drawing heavily upon it as well just to give you, I don't try to steal other people's ideas, I'm gonna tell you where I get them, you know, so you can go, right, figure it out yourself. So that's a great, helpful to me. A, um, a concept for us today is a map. Here's the deal, a spiritual map. Your spiritual map is not my spiritual map. Is that fair? This is a metaphor, it's not gonna be perfect, but work with me. But on everybody's map, there's kind of that red, Heart instead of an X. Let's do heart. And that's where God is, right? That's where, that's where you're trying to get to. But your map is, <laughs> is drawn with different stuff, different roads, different land situations and all that. But we're hopefully all trying to get to God. At the end of the day, and be able to say, man, I fought the good fight. I ran the race and I kept my faith. So you're somewhere on your faith map. Right? You're somewhere. And you may be trying to figure certain things out, and that's okay. And if you're going to last, if you're going to make it all the way to the end, to that destination on your map, then you know what? You're going to have to figure out how to get beyond what I would say fairness, this concept of fairness. We're going to have to get beyond that in order to make it to the end. I'll explain later. And you're going to have to get beyond just personal understanding. You're going to have to learn how to get beyond that if you're going to make it on your faith map from where you are today till you can get to God. And the reason why I said this series might not be fully over is because I got too much material and I might have to record a podcast and you'll hear, hear the rest of it this week. But I've heard that that's what cool people do, make podcasts. So I'm trying to be cool. <laughs> um, beyond fairness. You ever heard of Job? All right, we're going to look a little bit at Job, okay? I'm going to read some stuff and not just slap it on the screen. I'm going to read some selections to give you a, I can't give you a full thing, you know, of Job in the time that I have, but if you're not familiar with the story of Job, I, I, it's a pretty powerful story and um, you should really maybe give it, a, give it a try, check it out. It'll rock your world, honestly. But let's just say Job 1, right? This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. Say, fear God. Fear God. Shun, evil. Shun evil. Is that good? Is that, that's pretty good. Good description. It's pretty sound. Then it goes on to describe, he's got all these kids, he's got cattle, he's wealthy. I mean, he's just crazy wealthy. It even says that, you know, he used to, he used to like offer sacrifices for his kids just in case they were messing up. I mean, and, and, and the Bible says this was Job's regular custom. Spiritual guy. All right? Spiritual guy. But guess what happens? Something odd happens, which you may need to take almost your entire faith life to totally 
quote unquote understand, and you may never fully understand this whole interaction between God and the adversary, Satan, the enemy, right? And, uh, you know, God says, hey, he tells Satan, have you considered, in verse 8, my servant Job? There is no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Who's saying this? Wow. So God is saying that not just, this isn't just narrated. God's saying this about Job. I mean, that's a pretty high, that's some high praise, right? But then it gets odd, if you just want to be honest. I mean, at least it does for me. Where all of a sudden God, like, gives Satan kind of, if you want to mess with him, go ahead, because I'm telling you, he's a faithful dude. And so all of a sudden, the enemy just starts wreaking havoc on Job's life. I mean, what's going on? You know, it's like, how can you do all these good things, and then you find that your kids are dead, all your cattle's gone? What? God, he feared God and he shunned evil. And then what does the Bible say about Job? After hearing all this, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and what? Worship. This is your spiritual act of worship, first scripture read today. How do you do that in this moment? You've lost, your kids are dead, your, all your wealth is gone. What? He's worshiping. And Job says this, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, which means more than just Lord or Yahweh or Jehovah. It's his character too, you know? In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrongdoing. Okay. On your faith map, when tragedy happens, when discouragement hits you hard, on your faith map, you know what you decide, sometimes you and I decide to do? We don't decide to say, I'm going to keep following God. Because we can't go beyond fairness. Because here's the deal. If your faith is constructed on this concept that if I do good, God automatically has to give me good. And, and here's the deal. You will say in Christian circles that you don't really believe that. But I've found after sitting with some of us for 25 years, you actually do really believe that. It may take like 13 questions for it to really come out. But after a while, you go, you know what? I signed up, I gave my life for this, and this has happened, and I don't like it. And you know what? That's not fair. It's not right, even. That's not even right. Because, I mean, look at this person over. I mean, you, I, I mean I've seen it happen so many times. If your faith is constructed on God, has to do right by you if you do right by him. In other words, you made a great faith commitment, now you've got God over a barrel. Because every time you do something right, he better do something good for you. And if that's where you are, I think you're going to get stuck where you, we're gonna, you're going to get stuck and not make it to the destination. And I think you've got to be honest about yourself. And you've got to ask God's spirit to reveal certain things to you. And I'm grateful for Job's example here. We're going to come back to Job in a little bit. But at the very least right here, he was on his journey. 
And you know, when you go on a journey, you might be on a ship on the high seas looking at beautiful vistas, sunsets, sunrises. But at some point, guess what? If that's your faith life, what if you come up to land? You're going to have to get off that boat. And now you need another form of transportation to get to your destination. And if your faith boat is, no, God is fair. He's always fair. He's always going to give me good when I do good. At some point, that ship is going to run into some land. And, you, and if you try to take the ship on the land and try, let's go, let's go. It's not, it's not meant to go over that terrain. You're not going to make it to your destination if all you have is God is going to be fair. If I just do good, he's always going to do good. You got to get out of that boat and you got to get another form of transport. You got to get another form of transport. And here's the deal. You don't have to curse the boat. Right? There's some good in the boat. There's a lot of helpful stuff in the boat. The boat got you to where you are now. Amen. Don't curse the boat. There were things that you learned on that boat and experienced on that boat that will help you on your journey, but that's not all you need. You need to keep being renewed by your mind. Let God's spirit change you from within to get to that destination. There's another person in the Bible that I think runs into a similar spot. And some of you are familiar with this guy. Oh, do you remember this guy? How about turning in your Bibles, if you have one, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. The rich man. Let's see what his faith journey is looking like, right? The rich man. Mark 10. Pick up in verse 17. <coughs> Excuse me. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Oh, teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and said, you liar. Wait, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus looked at him and what? Loved him. You know, one thing you lack. You know what? Go ahead, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And then, come follow me. At this, the man's face fell he went away sad because he had great wealth. His faith map was similar in the sense of, hey, I've kept all the commandments. Right? And, God, and Jesus doesn't say you're a liar. Similar to me, in my mind, similar to Job. Hey, Job's an upright man. He feared God, shunned evil. No one was disapproving of that. that that's still in the record. Cool. I don't think... Jesus doesn't think this guy is being dishonest or anything. He, he lets his answer stand. He doesn't challenge it, doesn't say he's a liar. So let's say the guy's good. He's been good. And then Jesus says, everything I think in this guy's mind would say, wow, since I've been so good, now I'm in. But Jesus says, no, man, there's one thing, you know, you lack. 
And he couldn't do it. His faith map, mm, he didn't want to go on that territory right there. And here's the deal. I don't think Jesus was saying, there's just one more thing you need to do. And because if he, would, if he would have done that, guess what? Let's say he went back home, sold all they had, ran back. That doesn't mean he's changed anything about his conception of God. Because he might say, I did that last thing you had, and now am I fine? Now am I good? Jesus is challenging him even deeper than that. You need to give up your whole cost-counting thing with keeping tabs on good and wrong. The way you do it, rich man, is not the way I do it. Do I care that you do good things? Absolutely. Duh. But I'm not here to keep tabs like you think I'm supposed to keep tabs. <laughs> so you need to, your whole accounting situation, throw it away. The way you view your faith, throw it away. And an example of that would be selling everything you have, but it's deeper than that. You got to get rid of this concept of, you know, you, you get God to do what you want to do and you're good just because you do all these right things. And that's the reason why. It's deeper than that. And when that rich man heard it, he didn't want to have nothing to do with it. And he walked away. I hope that that doesn't happen to us. And my professor said something in his book. I was like, you know, that's helpful to me. I'm going to share it with my church. He says, the call is to surrender faith as primarily fairness and move on to faith as trust beyond reciprocity. We must allow the Holy Spirit to unbuild our secure structures of God as final fairness and find a new way to relate. How are you doing with that? Faith as trust beyond reciprocity. God, I do good. You reciprocate. You always do good to me. Because in that little world, there's no room for challenges, suffering, <laughs> pain, discouragement. There's no room for that. Because Job shows us, he's already shown us, that you can be righteous and have really bad things happen to you. So you got to figure out, can your faith handle that? Or do you subconsciously or maybe even consciously hold God to that? And I've seen this have destructive situations in my life. I'm not, I don't know your faith journey. In my faith journey, I've seen passages used that kind of mess with people. They create this kind of fairness concept and it kind of can mess people up. I've seen good passages, wonderful passages. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I've actually heard that used in a certain way where somebody doesn't have the desire of their heart. And so they don't have it. And then guess what they start thinking? I must be a bad Christian. I must be a bad follower. Or worse, someone else looks at their life and goes, yeah, you don't really have all the things you want. What's, what's really going on in your faith life? Because, I mean, you don't, you're not, you know, you don't get what you have that you really want. So you must, there must be something deficient in your walk. I've seen that happen. You go, well, I've never seen that happen. Well, amen. That's your, I've seen it happen. And it's sad and it's hurtful. Guys, this is a psalm, okay? You don't create entire doctrines of Christianity on psalms. Psalms are like songs. Are, they're like the creatives of the Christian faith, the Judeo-Christian faith, you should say. The, you know, they're, they're writing songs about who God is. It's kind of starting with a person in a sense and expressing how awesome it is to God, like a good song can do. This isn't, you don't, you're not trying to build doctrines off of psalms. I was with a brother at Jay Christopher's no more than a month ago. And we were having a normal conversation like two Christian guys do. And he was talking about, you know, kids. And I'm talking about my kids. And, he saw, and somehow this passage came up. 
right? Train your child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. And he was talking about that, and we were talking, and I'm like, hold up, you know, because I'm listening. I'm like, this is, that's a proverb. It's not a promise. The book of Proverbs is not the book of promises. <laughs> it's, those are different. No, bro. He, 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 and you know what he said? He said, bro, bro, no. You're like, you know, you're blowing my mind right now. Kind of vibe, you know? And I wasn't trying to do that. I'm not like, I'm not trying to say I'm, but I'm just, bro, do you know? It's, it's wisdom. It's, it's it, you have a better chance of having a good situation with your kid if you train them up the best you can. But it's not a promise. You can't hold God because if you're, you do family devo every night, every week, you pray on your knees, you pray over them, you use oil, you send them to Christian school, and then they get to 27, 37, 40, and they don't change, then what are you going to do? You're going to blame God. You're going to say, you didn't, you were not fair. It's not fair. It was in the word, and that's the way it says, and you're not fair, God. And then where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? you got to realize, you know, it's beyond fairness. It's deeper than fairness because our definition of fairness is not God's. You know what I'm saying? And it's his world, and he can, he can do how he wants. I just want to be on his good side, you know what I'm saying? We're going to keep going. Beyond personal understanding. you got to go beyond that. We're going to go back to our friend Job. All right, because that, we left Job and he was in a rough spot. His kids are gone. I mean, his, I mean, his wealth is gone. And then, I mean, we didn't even get to the part where God, you know, he's allowing his body to get boils on him. He's in pain. I mean, this is terrible. And then, of course, his friends come and try to explain to Job. <laughs> you see, Job, we understand how God works. <laughs> I mean, it's basically a fairness thing. I mean, if you were acting right, then God would have treated you right. That's how God works. So looking at your life, obviously, you've been doing wrong. And you laugh, but that's what they're saying. <laughs> in, in many poetic ways for like 40 chapters, you know what I'm saying? Like, wow, they're consistent, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, they have their own view. They've, they've created these wonderful tradition boxes. And God has fit just so perfectly in all their thinking. And they have a complete understanding of how God works in the world. And so when they look at Job, it's, it's clear to them that Job is deficient in what he's been doing with God. It's obvious to them. You can't, you can't convince them they're wrong. And they are just dropping platitudes on poor Job for a long time. And Job finally just kind of, and he's holding up, man. You know what I mean? He's just withstanding it. I have fought the fight. I finished the race. I mean, it's going to be a fight sometimes. And Job, towards the end of, you know, he's, he gets with God. He's like, uh, where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? God understands the way to it. And he alone knows where it dwells. And he said to the human race, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Well, have we heard that before? In other words, Job is saying, I know God knows this. I've really tried to live this, 
But man, it doesn't seem like it adds up. I don't, know where, I don't even know where wisdom is anymore. I'm at the end of my personal understanding. I thought God said, fear him, shun evil, and do right. I did it. And, I, and I, this is where my life ends up. My, the facts of my life, they don't really lean against into my faith. And they're just, I just don't understand. Some of us can get there, right? And then you would think that God would come in at this point, you know, with like, okay, Job, let me, let me explain to you why you're going through all this. But instead, you know, God's like, you know, Job, you know, consider the hippopotamus. <laughs> you know, like, what? <laughs> Talking about God. God goes on these multiple chapter explanation of a bunch of stuff in nature. But he's asking some questions of Job. Hey, man, where were you when all this went down? Who, who is this asking me all these questions? And he takes him through poetry, not doctrine, to help him understand that your thinking and your wisdom can only go so far. And the thing with Job that I respect and appreciate is after these long explanations, and I think that the Bible, as we've said before, it's meant to be read over a lifetime. You know, you can't just read it once. I got it. And I think the book of Job is a perfect example of that. Because we want God to say why this happened. When stuff happens in your life, that's what you want. Or somebody that you care about and you see what's going on in their life. That's what, we, why? Come on, that, that one question, sometimes, because our understanding, we, we don't have a category for it. So we want to know why. And God doesn't always tell us why. He doesn't. And he is not bound to, but if you think he is, you're going to have problems, and you might not make it to the end on your faith map. you got to get beyond your personal understanding. you got to go further with God, even when you don't have all the answers. And even when you don't have the, maybe the most important answer, why, you may never get it. So you have a choice. Either deconvert and get out, or you say, I'm going to keep following. Even with, limit, even with my own limited knowledge. Verse 40, chapter 42 at the end, you know, Job says, you know what, God, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You know, God, you ask, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, God, you, you said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. Okay, God, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And now I repent. I had heard of you, and I've taken in stuff, and I heard fear God, shun evil, and it, but now <laughs> I've stuck it out. I'm still here, <laughs> even through the tragedy and all that. And he hadn't gotten back everything. He hadn't gotten the good stuff yet. He made this decision to still follow even when he didn't have all the answers. That is what it looks like to keep following beyond fairness and beyond your understanding. 
And there's another guy I want to look at. I told you I had too much material, but I still have, I, I still got some time. That fires me up. I still got a little bit of time. We're going to look at Nicodemus. Same concept. <clears throat> John, the gospel of John. That's where we're going to look at Nicodemus. Because he has a similar concept. He's got to go beyond his personal understanding. And who is Nicodemus? Nicodemus ain't a lightweight. He's not a spiritual lightweight. This man, has, this man knows way more than we could imagine about his faith, his scriptures, well-versed. And if you haven't seen the Chosen episode of this, it'll, it'll change your life. I cried. I was like, I was all over the place. It was a, they, the way they handled Nicodemus and that was phenomenal. But in my, here's the deal. Nicodemus, this is what we learn about him. Jesus starts explaining some stuff to him. You know, because Nicodemus knows something's up with Jesus. And his personal understanding, he's like, I know you're not just a normal guy because you're doing these things and I think it's from God. So I just, so Nicodemus goes to him at night and they have this conversation and Jesus starts explaining things to him like, you know, you know what, you, you must be born from above or born again. You've got to be born of the water and the spirit. You know, you, the spirit might be like the wind and it blows and you don't even know where it's going. And Nicodemus, at the end of this conversation, basically all he can say is, how can this be? Right? What are you talking about, basically? Everything you're describing, again, Nicodemus wants clear answers and Jesus is talking about the wind. Right? Job wanted clear answers. God's talking about nature. Right? So Nicodemus is like, well, how can this be? I don't get it. We only see him three times in John, right? So that was the first time. Second time, we see him. <clears throat> and it says, uh, this, his fellow Pharisees are ready to take Jesus out. They're like, they're done with Jesus. But Nicodemus stands up in, in John uh, chapter 7, and he says, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? In other words, he's trying to figure out like, what, what's up? You know, like, we, we can't do this. He's break, Nicodemus is breaking even from his own traditions understanding, right? He's stepping out. Like, okay, Nicodemus, you didn't fully get it. He's like, how can this be? But he's still willing to stand up for Jesus, even though he doesn't have it figured out totally. By the last time we see Nicodemus, in John chapter 19, Jesus has died. And so now Nicodemus is bringing spices to anoint Jesus' dead body. So if you think about Nicodemus, he has heard Jesus face to face. I don't understand it. He's willing to stand up to the guys within his group. Still doesn't fully understand it. Then Jesus dies. And you got him mad. He's like, oh, I blew my chance. But guess what he does? He still is willing to put his whole reputation on the line to bury, to bury Jesus. Because this did not go over well with his fellow Pharisees. How could he do something like that? Because it's what we have to do. We are not always going to get all of our answers before we are asked to make big decisions. Okay? You're going to have to learn how to do that if a follower of faith. We can't allow people to just put everything in a little box. God is always bigger than your thoughts about God. Okay? He's bigger than that. Here's the deal, guys. This is awesome. Do you sincerely think that everything God has ever done? 
You know what I mean? So in a sense, God's even bigger than what we have. He's, done, he's wow. We got to leave room for the mystery. <laughs> you you got to be okay with God is knowable in a sense, but you can't know all about God. He's beyond that. And that's great. That's, amazing. Oh, that's awesome. It should, it should keep us on our knees, keep us humble. But if we are just consistently trying to place these traditions in these boxes and God's clearly in this box, he's clearly in this box, and that's all our faith is right there, it's going to break down. It's going to break down. You're going to run to a mountain and you can't get up there with a bicycle. Oh, you got, some, you got to use something else to get to where you want to end up. So I hope we choose discipleship and not deconversion, right? We keep following no matter what. Follow Jesus to the limits of your understanding, then keep following. Jesus' call to follow him comes before our ability to fully understand him. The deeper understanding comes in the following. Mature faith is faith beyond personal understanding. There's more I can share. I am going to stop here. And I'm going to take us in prayer. And I hope that we can remember Jesus. Remember Jesus in that garden. Because I think Jesus had a similar moment in some respects. Everything we've been talking about, I think Jesus experienced in that garden in some respect. Either deconvert, right, between the garden and the cross. Hey, I'm out. He could have chosen that. Or is he going to keep following? Right? And we're going to pray and we're going to take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. Father, we... We just pray for humility and surrender. I pray that we can even remember Jesus now in that garden from the east gate of the old city of Jerusalem. Jesus, in in spiritual crisis, he didn't bargain for what was fair, but he surrendered himself in personal trust to you, God, his Abba. He did not avoid suffering, Father. He didn't ask, and and he was willing to ask the hard questions like, why have you forsaken me? And God, he didn't seem to get what he deserved. So God, I hope we all remember Jesus who blazed a trail that we in some ways are following to to try to get to you. And may we be willing to surrender like him beyond fairness, beyond our personal understanding and into your presence with more depth and an even deeper desire to follow you until we breathe our last earthly breath. So I pray that when we take this bread, we remember the body of Jesus and we remember the the body of Christ, the church. And we remember also as we drink this juice that it was shed blood, it it was suffering, that help bring about the possibility for us to make it to you. And I pray that we care about each other. And while we all have different faith maps in this room, Lord, 
I pray that sometimes we'll be willing to jump off a boat and help somebody else walk up a mountain so that they can make it. Pray we can be like that because Jesus was like that for us. Pray in his name. Amen.